Heavenly Father, we ask that you would indeed send your Holy Spirit to us now and give us understanding, and we will then keep your law and obey it with all our hearts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we continue our series this morning in the book of Philippians, and the Apostle Paul has been encouraging the church in Philippi uh, to stand as one man contending for the gospel, and he's been giving them a number of instructions here at the end of his letter as to how he wants them to live, a number of imperatives, a number of commands. And now at the end of the letter, he starts to uh, thank the church in Philippi for sending support to him. Uh, we've touched on this particularly when we first started looking at the letter in chapter 1, and, uh, but he's, he's hinted at it a number of times as he speaks about Epaphroditus, which is a member of the church in Philippi who came to the Apostle Paul with a gift of some sort of support for the Apostle Paul in his time while he is in prison and supporting him in his ministry. And they've supported him on a number of occasions, it seems, uh, but this is a letter of support back to his supporting uh, family, uh, to the church in Philippi that has been supporting him. So it's kind of one of these letters that you would send as a missionary back to a church that has given you some aid. And so the Apostle Paul wants to thank them now for the support that they have given him. And he wants to thank them, but he also wants to let them know that he ultimately uh, did not need the gift from them that he is one who has been self-sufficient. He is one who is content in the Lord. We read this, he, he plays this sort of dance with the church in Philippi where he wants to thank them, but he also wants to show that he is, uh, he is one who is dependent upon the Lord for all things. In verse 10 we read, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. The Apostle Paul says that he has learned contentment. He is able to be content whatever the circumstances that come along in his life. Well, what does it mean to be content? Well, it means to be one who is in a settled state, one who is at peace, one who is satisfied. And that is what the Apostle Paul says he has learned to be in that state of satisfaction at all times, in every situation. We see that in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances, all circumstances. Is it really all circumstances that the Apostle Paul could be satisfied, he could be content in? Isn't it impossible to be content when we have lots of needs? Does the Apostle Paul mean whatever the circumstances? Does he really mean that? Yes, the Apostle Paul does mean in whatever circumstance he faces. Why? Because we know that the Apostle Paul knew great need and was still content. He says this in the verses that are before us. Look with me at verse 12 of Philippians chapter 4. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to live in need. Did he know what it was to live in great need? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. He knew great need over his lifetime, greater than I would dare say all of us in this room have ever known in our lives. If we want to see that, all we have to do is turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you might like to do that now. It's found on page 1,149. 1,149. 1, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 
from verse 23. Verse 23, where the Apostle Paul, he's been speaking about uh, some people who exalt themselves in the church in Corinth, uh, and then he wants to speak about himself, and so he actually speaks about uh, his sufferings. Verse 23, he says, Are they servants of Christ? Referring to those other people. I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea, I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? The Apostle Paul, no great need. The answer has to be yes. He knew what it was to be needy. And we see that so clearly in those verses. And even as the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, where is he writing from? He's writing from prison. We cannot say that the Apostle Paul did not know what it was to be in need when he wrote these words that are before us, that he has learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He really means whatever the circumstances. Now, he doesn't deny the reality of being in need. He's not some sort of stoic that says it's all in our heads, that we don't actually have great need. Yes, he recognises great need. I mean, we see that in 2 Corinthians, but also we see it here in these verses that are before us. He acknowledges the reality of need and he rejoices in gifts that come to him. He says, I rejoice greatly in what you've been able to send me so that his needs are supplied. But Paul wants to be clear to the church in Philippi that he has learned to be content, satisfied in whatever the circumstance, which includes great need. Even as they sent a gift to him, he was very much appreciative of the gift. But... He wants to be clear to the church in Philippi that his satisfaction, his contentment comes not from people supplying his needs, but from the Lord. And it's not just in circumstances of great need that he says he's learned to be content. He says he's also learned to be content when he has plenty. We see that in verse 12. Turn with me again to Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And you may say, this, this isn't something that should be remarked upon, is it? When someone has plenty, surely they are content. Surely they're satisfied. But is that true? Is contentment normal when we have plenty? No, there's lots of discontented people who have an abundance, who have plenty. Generally, we Australians fall into this camp all the time. We live in absolute abundance, don't we? We have a roof over our heads, we have shirts on our backs, and we have food. And mustn't we admit that at any moment in our lives, we could choose to have a very, very full belly, Later today, you could consume, it would, be at your, it would be a possibility before you to consume an inordinate amount of food to the point of stomach ache. Any of us could do it if we wanted to. 
this afternoon. We have plenty in this nation. But are we content? Are Australians content people? Or are they known to be discontented, even as they have plenty? Why is that the case? Well, we want a nice roof over our heads. We want a nice shirt on our backs. And we want nice food along with everything else. And what is nice? Well, generally nice is the next stage up from whatever we currently have, isn't it? Whatever home we live in, the nicest home is the next one up from what I currently have. A nice shirt is a better shirt than what I currently have. And a nice meal is the next stage up from what I currently have. A nicer coffee is the coffee that I don't have in my hands right now. It's another coffee that's down the track. And so we never actually achieve contentment because we're always after something that is nicer than what we currently have. But the Apostle Paul says what? He has learned to be content when he has plenty. When he has plenty. When he has a full belly, he has learned to be content when he has that full belly. See with me in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here's someone who's learned to be content when in need, but also when he has plenty. Now, has the Apostle Paul found this easy to be content? Was he just a contented person just all around? He's like one of these contented babies that no crying it makes. And he's grown up like that. He's never cried out. He's never felt discontentment. No, he knew what it was to be discontented. How do we know? Well, he says he has learned... He has learned what it is to be content in any and every situation. Why did Paul have to learn? Because contentment is elusive. Contentment is a mystery. It is a secret. We see that in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, the way you could translate that Greek word that's translated there as secret is mystery. It's a mysterious thing. It's a rare jewel. That's what one of the Puritans called it. He wrote this wonderful book, Jeremiah Burroughs, one of my favourite books of all time. The rare jewel of Christian contentment. It's a rare jewel. And we know it's a rare jewel because we know that in lands that have great need, it is missing. In lands that have plenty like ours, it is missing as well. It's hard to find contentment, to find a contented spirit within a poor nation and in a nation that has inordinate wealth. Contentment is a mystery. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a good portion of our New Testament, he had to learn it. He had to learn it. It was not something that is learnt by our own meanderings because it's mysterious. And you don't learn a mystery by your own meanderings. How do you learn then contentment? How do we find this rare jewel? How did the Apostle Paul learn contentment? Well, he tells us in verse 13. Verse 13, Philippians chapter 4. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This verse is a very popular verse amongst Christians. People use it for all kinds of things, like I'm going to be able to fly a plane. If Jesus just gives me strength, I can automatically do it. I can do everything. All things are possible for me. But it's in the context of being content. I can do everything. I can be content through him who gives me strength. Who is the one who gives him strength? 
who gave the Apostle Paul strength so that he could be content whatever the circumstances? Of course, it's the Lord Jesus. It's God himself, known in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who is to teach us if we are to learn contentment. Why the Lord Jesus? Well, the Lord Jesus was the most content human being ever to walk the face of this earth. You read the Gospels, he has this spirit of contentment about him. No matter what is going on around him, he is able to be satisfied. Even in great poverty, he was satisfied. And of course, the Lord Jesus is the one that is suited to teach us because he is God himself. He is God himself, so he has all the resources to be able to help us learn. He has the wisdom, he has the knowledge, he has the power, he has the love, he has the grace to be able to teach a student how to be content. And he's been through it himself and has been content himself. So how do we learn from the Lord Jesus? How do we get this strength that he gives, that he gave to the Apostle Paul? as Paul testified in verse 13. Well, how does an apprentice learn the secrets of any trade? How does an apprentice learn the secrets of any trade? Many trades can be very mysterious. (laughs) You just ask someone to do some work on their own home and they muck it up pretty fast. We need masters, people who have mastered the mystery of the trade to teach us. That's how an apprentice learns. He has someone who is a master, who has mastered the mystery And then that master teaches the apprentice. An apprentice needs a boss, a boss who will teach him, who will take him on board and say, I'm going to teach you the mysteries of this craft that I have mastered. And what does he then do? Well, the boss, he teaches the apprentice, doesn't he? By providing instruction, by speech, by written instruction, by manuals that he may give, textbooks he may give to the student so that the student will learn the mysteries of the craft. How else does the boss, the master, teach the apprentice? Well, he provides the tools to do the job. He says, these are the tools that you need. You try doing it without these tools, you will muck it up. You won't be able to do the things that you want to do. How else does the boss teach the apprentice? Well, he provides material support, so that the apprentice has the strength, has his daily bread. He gives him a wage, so that he has strength in his body to be able to do the work each day. How else does the master teach the apprentice? Well, he provides association of other apprentices for the apprentice to learn from. People who are older than him, who have mastered the craft, are better than he has. He provides that association. He brings them on to the company and teaches himself, but gets others to teach the apprentice. How else does the master teach the apprentice? Well, it's by getting the apprentice to do the work. He doesn't just always show how things are done. He actually says, have a go. Do something yourself. I'll watch, I'll be here, I'll supervise, but have a go. How else does the master teach the apprentice? Well, he teaches the apprentice by promising a great reward if the apprentice will stick with him. He can promise a good working environment. He can promise a stable job, a good income, shares in the company, maybe even partnership that he will own part of the company one day if he is a good apprentice and masters the craft, the mysteries of the craft. And it's the same for us as Christ's apprentices, isn't it? It's the same for us as Christ's apprentices in learning what? In learning the mystery of contentment. In learning the mystery of contentment. How? Well, Jesus takes us on. He takes us on. He adopts us. He takes us on as an apprentice. 
He is the master, we are the apprentice, and he takes us on. And if we don't have him, well, then we'll never learn the craft. It will remain a mystery to us. We'll never learn the secret unless Jesus has us as his apprentices to begin with. Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that includes being content. And then what else does Jesus do to teach us? Well, he provides us with instruction. He provides us with his word. He gives us instruction as to how we can be content. How else does he instruct us? How else does he help us to learn the secret of contentment? Well, he provides the tools. What are the tools? He provides the Holy Spirit, first and foremost. The Holy Spirit in us so that we can actually be content, whatever the circumstances, whether well-fed, whether in need. How else does the Master, the Lord Jesus, teach us? As his apprentices, well, he provides us with material support, doesn't he? He provides us with our daily bread so that we're not tempted to be dissatisfied. He makes sure that we have something in our stomachs so that we're not tempted to be too dissatisfied, too discontented. How else does the Lord Jesus, as our master, teach us as his apprentices? Well, he provides association with other apprentices. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the local church. He says, come and be a part of this group of people. They will encourage you. They will support you as you learn the mystery of contentment. They will give you advice as to how you can be content when you've got plenty. They'll give you advice as to how you can be content when you've got great need. And the Lord Jesus also, as a master with an apprentice, puts us to work. He doesn't say, just look at me, look at me, look at me, see how I do things, but never says, have a go yourself. Jesus puts us into circumstances. He puts us into great need and says, have a go at being content. Then he puts us into times of great plenty and says, have a go at being content. He puts the apprentices to work, says, have a go at being content. And of course, what else does the Lord Jesus do with his apprentices as a master to encourage them and instruct them in the mystery of contentment? Well, he promises them great reward. Promises them great reward. Shares in his kingdom a partnership with him himself, the love and care of a boss, a master who cares for his students. So have you learned contentment? Have you learned contentment? Do you know joyful peace, satisfaction in every situation, every situation? Is the answer no? Well, why is that the case? I think we all struggle to be able to say, I have learned the secret of contentment in every situation. Why do we struggle so much? Why do you struggle to be able to say, I am content in every situation? Well, is it firstly because you're not a disciple? You're not an apprentice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the revealer of the mystery of contentment. You're still trying to work out contentment by yourself. You're still relying on your own resources. Has Jesus never taken you on board as his apprentice? And so, of course, you fail to understand something so mysterious. Don't you see that the Apostle Paul, when he says he has learned contentment, he is not saying that he learned it from his own resources. He was not Superman himself, and he could work it out. He learned it from somebody else. He learned it from the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Superman who is able to give him the resources, give him the teaching, by which he could be content. Why is everyone so dissatisfied outside of Jesus Christ? 
Why do we need Jesus in order to learn the secret of contentment? I hinted at it before. I tried to answer it. I said that because he is God, because he is man who has been contented, so of course he's the perfect teacher. But why is everybody who is outside of Christ so discontented? It's because they've still got the spiritual burden of guilt for their sin. They still feel the guilt of their sin and it tortures them each day. They feel the weight of their sin and the torture of that. And it's only in Jesus Christ that that spiritual guilt, that spiritual burden can be lifted up and taken away by his death at the cross. He can tell someone, you are forgiven. And they say, how can I be forgiven of my great sin? He says, because I took the penalty for you. I am the master who looked for an apprentice and found you and took the burden of your guilt and adopted you into my family. I am the one who has forgiven all your failings, all your stupidity, all your foolishness, all your crimes against others, and said, you can now be a part of my business and I will teach you the mystery of contentment, which you would never, 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 never have worked out on your own because of your guilt in your sin. If you are not content, is it because you do not belong to Christ and you're still tortured by the guilt of your sin each day? You try to find contentment. You try to find it in the things of this world. But they never satisfied. It's always the next step up you think will satisfy you. And you work and you work and you work to try and get it. But you never find that satisfaction. Come to Christ. Come to Christ only in him. And trusting in his death for your sins, will you find true contentment? Because he lifts the burden from the heavy laden. He will take it away at the cross and you will know a peace that you've never known before. If you are Christ's apprentice and still struggling to learn contentment, and we all struggle in different ways with this, why is that? Is it because you are not content, you are not content because you don't listen to Christ's instructions? You don't listen to his word? That's what a master does. He teaches by the words that he speaks and what, what he writes. Are you not listening to his word? Will you not read the instruction manual on your life? Are you too proud to read Christ's instruction manual? Why don't people read manuals? If you buy something and there's a manual there to, to put it together, why don't people read the manual? It's pride. You think, I can do this. I know how to do it. I don't need someone to tell me what to do. I shouldn't be an apprentice. I'm the master here. I don't need a manual to teach me what to do. Are you dissatisfied in life because you have not listened to specific instructions from the Lord about contentment, about the source of contentment? Like what? Well, his instructions about the love of riches. He says, the Lord Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. There's a specific instruction about the way to contentment. Do not think that your life consists of the abundance of your possessions. That's what most of the world thinks. 
life consists of, the abundance of their possessions. But the Lord Jesus says, watch out, beware of this. This idea that's there, natural to all men, well, sinfully natural from their sinful nature, says, watch out for it. Are you discontent because you don't listen to that kind of instruction? Or the instruction of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Turn with me there now, page 1177. 1177, a few pages over from Philippians, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, where the Apostle Paul teaches again about contentment here in these verses before us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. This is instruction from the Lord about the true way to contentment. Verse 8, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. These people who are so discontented and they think that contentment will be found in riches, what do they end up doing? They wander from the faith as they work harder and harder and harder to have more material wealth in this world. They wander from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. They're increasingly unhappy instead of getting happier. This is instruction from the master about the mystery of contentment and how to have that mystery of contentment, to have that rare jewel. So won't you be humble enough? If you see in your life that you are dissatisfied, that you are discontented, won't you be humble enough and admit that you need to read the instruction manual? Just like someone who gets something home, they try to put it together, I don't need the manual, and they get into this real state, they start drilling new holes, they start trying to put it together in a way that it just looks totally wrong, and they say, okay, actually, what does the manual say? Are you going to have that light bulb moment where you're going to say, look, I'm increasingly dissatisfied, I know I shouldn't be, maybe I should read the instruction manual all along. And you go, you humble yourself, and you start to read God's word as you should. Or are you discontent? Not because you don't read God's word, but because you don't use his tools. What are his tools? Well, I said first and foremost, his tool is the Holy Spirit. Do you depend upon your own strength? You read God's word and then say, I'm going to put this into practice by my own sheer willpower. Is that the way you respond when you hear the master's instructions? You won't get very far. What you need to do is pick up his power tools. Not your own power tools, which are hopeless and faulty and broken. No, you need to pick up his power tool, the Holy Spirit. You need to ask the master, can I use your tools? What's the tool that you want from the master? You want the Holy Spirit. You say, okay, this is what I need to do. Can I please have the Holy Spirit so that I can do what the word actually says? Just like an apprentice says to the master, okay, you've told me to drill a hole. Can I borrow your drill? Mine's hopeless. I need your drill, master. That's what we need to be. Not saying I can do it with my own strength. I need your strength. I need your tools. Are you discontent because you don't ask the master for the Holy Spirit? You read his word, but you don't ask for the Holy Spirit's help. Or are you discontent because you're too proud to go to Jesus for material support. You have great need in your life, yes, but you don't go to him for material support to give you your daily bread. You work hard for your daily bread yourself, but you do not ask him for your daily bread. 
There's that wonderful verses, those verses in Proverbs chapter 30, which we had read for us before, which should be known by all Christians. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7, where the, the author there says, Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Why not poverty or riches? Doesn't want either of those two. He wants to be in the middle, the elusive middle. Why? Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? I've, I've got everything I need. I don't need God. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonour the name of my God. I don't want to be so poor that I steal and dishonour the name of God. I don't want to be too wealthy so that I say, who is the Lord? I want to be in the middle. Is that a prayer you pray? Give me my daily bread. Give me my daily bread. That's what I desire. Are you not content also because you're too proud to associate with other apprentices? You're too proud to associate with other apprentices. You say, I don't need a church. I don't need a local church. I'm self-sufficient on my own. I've got Jesus and myself. That's all I need. Jesus, he talks about churches in the Bible, but I don't need them. I'm self-sufficient. Now, the Lord Jesus gives us the body of Christ, his body around us to help us. Other apprentices who say, look, you're doing it wrong there, mate. And to remind us of the boss's instructions. We need other apprentices around us. And the Lord Jesus gives them to us if we will receive them and join with them. There are so many local churches out there that, you can, that many of them would be pleased to have you join them so that you can be encouraged and supported in learning the secret of contentment. Why else might you not be content? Well, you don't try and learn. You don't try. You say, I can't do it. You're like an apprentice who says, I can't do it. You're going to have to do it for me. You say, I can't do it. Well, don't you remember that the Apostle Paul knew contentment? He could do it. And the same Lord Jesus that gave him strength 2,000 years ago is alive today and gives strength to us in the same way that he gave it to the Apostle Paul. Don't say, I can't do it. It's rude to your boss. He's saying, have a go, whether it's in plenty or in want. Won't you have a go? Or are you not content because you don't look at the great reward? This is the last one as to how you may be able to work out why you're not content. It's because you don't look at the great reward that he has promised. You don't count your blessings that the master has promised you. What are those? Well, firstly, you don't look at the very great inheritance that he will give you one day. All our needs, do we understand all our needs in this world, whatever physical problems we're facing, all of them will be satisfied in the next no more sickness, no more pain, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more crying. All satisfied. If you focus on that, whatever you're going through now, you can say, I am content because I know that this state will not continue forever. It will pass. And one day I will have an eternal reward. Or don't you look at Christ and are satisfied in him? Don't you look at Christ and are satisfied in him as your very great reward. It's one thing to look at heaven, but what's so good about heaven? The Lord Jesus is there. The Lord Jesus is there. He is our partner. He has promised us shares in the kingdom. He will always be with us. And with Christ, we need nothing else. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ and you've got a full belly, 
You don't need anything else. If you have the Lord Jesus Christ and you have an empty belly, you don't need anything else ultimately. We can be satisfied when we know we have him and we will always have him. This is what is promised to us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Why can you be content? Because he is always there for you. Once he takes you on as his apprentice, he always keeps you as his apprentice. Jesus never takes us to a job site and says, I'm going away, I'll leave you to it for the day. He's always there with us. As you try to be content, when you've got a full belly, when you haven't got a full belly, when you've got great needs, when you haven't got great needs, Jesus is there helping us to be content. He is always there, so we should always be content. And this helps us to understand why the contentment is such a mystery. Why is uh, contentment such a mystery because Christ is mysterious Christ is the great mystery people don't understand the Lord Jesus Christ and so therefore of course they don't understand contentment once you understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you at the cross and by his resurrection then contentment just follows naturally because you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you have an understanding of him and you understand that he lives in you by his spirit and so contentment simply follows. All who understand Christ Jesus know contentment. He is always satisfaction guaranteed. Do you know how you buy products and it says on the back, satisfaction guaranteed? Well, it's not. It's not always guaranteed. Whatever food you eat, it can, something faulty can have happened in the production process or some seal's broken or something. Satisfaction's not always guaranteed and all they can do is offer you your money back. With Jesus, satisfaction, contentment is guaranteed. Even if you don't feel that you've got true contentment right now, one day you will be completely satisfied. When will that be? When you see him face to face. Satisfaction is guaranteed. So contentment, it's a rare jewel. It is a rare jewel, but it is a joyful jewel and it can be had in this world, to some degree at least, that the Apostle Paul could say, I have learned contentment. With contentment, we can avoid wandering from the faith and piercing ourselves with many griefs. And with contentment, we can rejoice. We can rejoice from a peaceful satisfaction in whatever circumstances we face. So let us all hunger for Christ, the Master, and be joyful, be joyfully satisfied in him as his disciples, as his apprentices, who will never leave us or forsake us. Let's come to him in prayer. Let's speak with him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the one who is always content. You're always satisfied. We thank you for taking us on as your disciples and giving us a peace with God through your death at the cross. Oh Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for our times of discontent, even though as your disciples we have no reason ever to be discontented. Help us by the Holy Spirit to be content, whether in need or in plenty, because we can do all things through you who gives us strength. Oh Lord, we also ask that if there is anyone here this morning who has never known the contentment that you give. Oh, Lord, we pray that they would belong to you now, that you would adopt them, that you would take them on as your apprentices, as your disciples, 
and grant them faith in yourself. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would forgive their sins, lift the spiritual burden from them, and may they know the joy of peace with yourself. And we pray this in your name. Amen.